Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Noble Blood, a production of iHeartRadio and Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. On the day of Wu Zetian's coronation, the day the woman who had ruled by proxy for decades behind her husband and then her son would finally take the throne in her own right, an earthquake hit China. It roared through the province, leveling homes and raising the already jagged edges of the mountain range north of the Yangtze River. The earthquake's meaning seemed obvious to any brave enough to allow the thought to enter their head. A woman becoming the emperor upset the natural order of things. The earth itself was rejecting Wu Zetian, her manipulations, her power-hungry ascent. But Wu had not become the emperor of China by accepting things as they were. The earthquake was not a bad omen, she remarked to the noblemen who surrounded her that afternoon, but a blessing. Those jagged mountain ranges that had been thrust into the sky with the shaking of the earth were a symbol of the Buddhist mountain of paradise. As she was becoming China's ruler, Sumeru was coming to earth. But that night when she went to bed, Wu Zetian didn't think of mountains or paradise. Instead, in her dreams, she was visited once again by the ghosts of a concubine named Xiao and a former empress named Lady Wang. The two of them never said anything. They hadn't since they first began coming to Wu Zetian's dreams decades ago, when she was still just the wife of an emperor. The ghosts had no hands and no feet. Their limbs were left bloody. But they didn't seem to be in pain. They just floated in the night, looking at Wu, asking her with their eyes what she had done and whether it had been worth it. I'm Dana Schwartz, and this is Noble Blood. Wu Zetian had needed to be incredibly beautiful to be selected to be a concubine for Emperor Taizong. She was only 14 at the time, plucked from her well-to-do family in the year 636 AD. She would stay at the palace and serve in the imperial household. But still, it was just a junior position, and being a third or fourth or fifth tier concubine, as Wu was, was more of an honorary title than anything else in this case. Young women at that level would be lucky to get even a few minutes of face time with the emperor, the man who could raise their station and allow them any sorts of social advancement with the flick of a wrist. But Wu was assigned to work as a laundress. That was her first advantage. She changed the emperor's bedsheets. That was where he first noticed her, a girl with bright, inquisitive eyes and clear skin and a well-practiced guilelessness. Wu came from a wealthy family. Her father had encouraged her to read and to study. And so she charmed the emperor not just with her beauty, but with her mind, 
the two of them discussing books and ideas, with Wu acting more as a secretary than as an object of pleasure. Living at the palace, Wu befriended the emperor's son, the boy who would go on to become Emperor Gaozong. She was only a few years older than him, and she often caught him looking at her when she went about her daily chores. It was he, one day, who interrupted her while she was folding sheets to tell her that the entire court was gathered outside to watch a new stallion in the courtyard that refused to be broken. The horse was called Lion Stallion, and it seemed that no one was up to the task of riding him. The pair of them raced downstairs to watch the show. The horse trainer yanked at the reins while the horse snorted and whipped its head back and forth in defiance. Before long, a new rider came forth, walking with a swagger that hid any hint of fear. He had the trainer step aside, and he took the horse's reins in his own hand. In one fluid motion, he swung a leg over the horse and pulled himself onto its back. In another fluid motion, the horse bucked and flung the man into the dirt. There was silence for a few seconds as the crowd considered whether anyone was going to try again or whether they should just disperse and go about their day. The emperor looked around. I'll break the horse, said a small voice from the crowd. It was Wu standing next to the prince. The emperor looked over at the girl and smiled. Will you now? Wu stepped forward and lowered her shoulders. I will. I only need three tools. The emperor laughed and the rest of the crowd joined him. And what tools might those be? When Wu spoke, her voice never shook. Her lips never lifted in even the hint of a smile. I will need an iron whip, an iron hammer, and a dagger. I will whip the horse with the iron whip. If it doesn't submit, I'll hammer its head with the iron hammer. And if it still refuses to submit, I'll cut its throat with a dagger. That will break the horse. The emperor's eyes gleamed. It was only after he started laughing that Wu Zetian smiled too, just a little bit. She had caught the emperor's attention yet again with her bravery, and he wouldn't forget her now. But service to an emperor is a short-term job prospect. When Emperor Taizong died, all of his concubines, or rather the concubines who hadn't borne him any children, were forced to shave their heads and retreat to a temple to live the rest of their lives as Buddhist nuns. It was the greatest disrespect for a woman who had served the emperor to be touched by any other man. Wu had no choice, and she knew that. Life has rules and paths for people to follow. Even witty, beautiful, charming young girls who had once dazzled all of court with a glistening moment of bravery must retire to a countryside life and let other, younger, dazzling girls try their hands at the game of court. Resent it, fight it, cry about it. The future still happened. We don't know if Wu cried when she shaved her beautiful, thick hair, when she gave away her things, when she arrived at the modest Gante temple where she was supposed to spend the rest of her life. What we do know is that even if she did cry, she never would have let anyone see it. Even with her head shaved, she was still beautiful, but no one noticed in the temple. 
The wife of Emperor Gaozong had a problem. Well, she had several problems. Her husband was sickly, prone to bouts of disease, and he was young, only 21 when his father, Emperor Taizong, died, and he, Gaozong, had been given the throne. If his older brothers hadn't been disgraced, he wouldn't have been made emperor at all. That was one of Lady Wang's problems, her weak and ineffective husband. But by far her biggest worry, the thing that kept her pacing the palace walls and chewing at her fingernails, was one of her husband's concubines, Consort Zhao. Consort Zhao was beautiful, and that was fine. Concubines are supposed to be beautiful. But she was also charming. And worst of all, she had a son and two daughters with the emperor. The empress, Lady Wang, didn't have any sons, and she was having difficulty maintaining another pregnancy. And that became all the more difficult because her husband was spending all of his time with Zhao. She had beguiled him, enraptured him. He was a man obsessed. The empress knew that the emperor would have concubines, but why did he have to be so obvious in choosing a favorite? His attention diverted to a dozen concubines was no threat. An individual woman was. One afternoon, before heading off to spend the rest of the day lounging in Zhao's chambers, Emperor Gaozong mentioned to his wife that he had been to the Buddhist temple and he had recognized one of the nuns there. It's so funny, he remarked. Even with her shaved head, I would have recognized her anywhere. She was one of my father's concubines, but I had such a crush on her. I would follow her around like a puppy. He left, and Lady Wang left to go to the Buddhist temple. When she arrived, she asked for Wu Zetian. The nun, now 27, came to the empress with her eyes downturned. The empress informed Wu that the time had come for her to return to court and that she should stop shaving her head. Wu accepted. And so a former concubine turned Buddhist nun came to court with hair slowly growing out under the watchful protection of the empress, Lady Wang. Consort Zhao knew what the empress was doing, but still, her legacy was secure. She had given the emperor a son, and she was still his favorite. Even if he found a new, temporary plaything, Wu couldn't hold his attention for long. The tragedy of Zhao's life began when she underestimated Wu Zetian. As for Empress Wang, she was making a calculated bargain, a gamble, one woman for another. But the problem with gambling is people tend to lose. Before long, Emperor Gaozong was gleeful at the return of Wu Zetian to court. She was the manifestation of all of his childish fantasies. Hers was the face he had seen behind his closing eyes before he went to bed, back when he was young and everything was still new. Without a moment's thought to how it would look, he made her an official concubine. And it didn't look great. There was a reason concubines were sent to temples after their emperor died. And the new emperor bringing back an old concubine was even more troublesome when the new emperor was the old emperor's son. Whispering voices considered the situation incestuous. A son lying with the same woman as his father. But Gaozong didn't care. He was the emperor now, and he had Wu Zetian. And now as an adult woman, 
Wu better understood the mechanisms of court and power. She understood that she was a woman and that her access to power was restricted. But she would not be flung back to a temple, disposed of as a dead man's property, not again. And even as Emperor Gaozong's concubine, she was still disposable. The two sons she would go on to bear him didn't mean anything if his wife, Empress Wang, decided that she had enough social capital to get rid of her. And then there was still Zhao, still the emperor's favorite, even after all that. Though he spent less time with her, she still had a particular hold on him, a way that he responded to her quicker than he did with Wu. Zhao was a threat, and Wu hated threats. Wu was particularly vulnerable after giving birth to her third child, a daughter. After delivery, Wu was confined to her chambers, and though the emperor visited her, giving her little gifts and kisses on her head, he had fallen back into Zhao's bed, and the baby made the empress hate Wu even more. The woman that she had brought to the palace had turned into a walking reminder of her own failings. With each new baby that Wu gave the emperor, Empress Wang became all the more painfully aware of what she couldn't do. One day, Empress Wang came to visit Wu and saw the new mother cooing over her baby in its cradle. You must be tired, Empress Wang said. Wu agreed. Wang held the baby and the little girl giggled in her arms. Take a walk, Wang said. Relax, I can take care of the baby for the night and put her to sleep. Wu wanted to protest, but she wasn't sure on what grounds. Wang was the empress after all, and truth be told, she did desperately need a moment to herself. And so she smiled, and Wang smiled back at her. And Wu kissed her baby girl goodbye, and left the palace to walk the grounds where she could be alone with her thoughts. She spent the night with the emperor, secretly pleased at the idea that Zhao was somewhere fuming, and the empress was gazing at her baby with envy. The next morning, Wu returned to her baby's room to find the little girl sleeping peacefully in bed. So peaceful, in fact, that she didn't stir when Wu approached, or when Wu placed a hand gently on the baby's back. The realization came through Wu's body like a slow drip of acid, a realization that curdled through her throat down into her belly and made her head spin and mouth taste like copper. She began to wail. Much later, when she had stopped wailing, when she was once again alone, she thought about what had happened. The emperor's wife, Lady Wang, had murdered her baby, had placed her hand on the mouth of the infant child and held it until the baby stopped moving. She had been so jealous of Wu, how easily she had gotten pregnant over and over again. Empress Wang wasn't capable of doing the murder on her own, no. She wasn't able to kill a child, but she had been goaded on by Consort Zhao. Zhao was also jealous. She knew that the Emperor had been spending more time with Wu and wanted to get back at her. She was so desperate to become the favorite again that she was willing to join Lady Wang and help her kill a child. At least, that's the story Wu Zetian told the Emperor. 
Lady Wang had no alibi. She had been the last one to hold the baby, and she had been the one to put her to bed. And so, spurned on by Wu Zetian's passion and rage, the Empress and the Emperor's one-time favorite consort were imprisoned. Wu Zetian, victim of tragedy, became the Emperor's new wife, his Empress, one dead child for the throne of China. And it was the throne. Gaozong was so sickly, it was Wu who truly ruled. She would never admit it out loud, only to herself in quiet moments when her heartbeat slowed and she was alone. But it had been worth it. The former Empress Wang and Zhao, once despised enemies, were locked together in a tiny cell, a room with no windows and just a single, narrow slot for food to be shoved through once a day. Six days after their imprisonment, the emperor came to visit them. Through the wall, they threw themselves upon his mercy. Oh, beloved husband, Wang cried, if you ever had love for me, please ease this imprisonment. Please, just let us see sunlight. The emperor had always been easily swayed, and it broke his heart to know that two women he had loved were so despondent, even if they had murdered his daughter. He came to his new empress Wu Zetian and asked her if they might grant at least small mercies to the women she had ousted. Wu saw what her feeble husband couldn't, how easily mercy became forgiveness, became love again, became anger towards her, Wu, for locking them up in the first place. She had sacrificed so much to reach where she was. She had lost a daughter for it. And so, she insisted to her husband that the women be killed. He acquiesced. According to rumors, Empress Wu Zetian had their hands lopped off at the wrist and their feet cut off at the ankles, and both women tossed into vats of wine where they would drown slowly. Let those bitches get drunk to their bones, they say Wu Zetian remarked. Colorful as it is, it isn't true. Wu Zetian just had her rivals hanged. But even in death, they tormented her. They visited her every night, silently staring, sentinels in judgment, with blood dripping like tears from their eyes. It became so miserable, so tortuous, that Wu had the entire court moved to a different palace, miles away, where she thought the ghosts of her past wouldn't be able to find her. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our 
favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Wu is buried beneath a massive stone slab that looks all the more massive because there's nothing written on it. It's completely blank. The Tang Dynasty emperors were meant to be buried under blank tablets so that later the full scope of their accomplishments could be written down. No one wrote about what Wu had achieved during her reign, nor what she had achieved during the proxy reign when she ruled behind her husband or when she had ruled behind her son. And then, when she overthrew her son and eventually became emperor in her own right, there were many accomplishments. She made Buddhism the official state religion, stabilized power, weeded out corruption, allowed commoners to hold political positions that had previously been restricted to them. But she was also brutal, executing nobles who threatened her powers, letting gossip and word of mouth serve as death sentence to people around her in the government. The story of her initial rise to power, the death of her infant child, became a story of her cold-bloodedness. They say that Wu had been the one to suffocate her daughter herself, that she saw the opportunity to frame and dispatch her rivals, and she took it. There's no way to know for sure, or to know if maybe the infant had just died in her sleep. Unfortunately, unlike Noble Blood episodes that focus on more recent royal figures, there are very few primary sources about the life of Wu Zetian in the 7th century. Writings about her tend to be either political propaganda written to bolster her reputation, or slanderous accusations of out-and-out villainy from those who resented the amount of power held by a woman. Even the story of the earthquake from her coronation is unconfirmed. Even mountains can't be set in stone when it comes to Wu Zetian. I've tried to find a human story in the facts I could find, and I told a version of her story that makes sense to me. But in this case, I can't promise it's all entirely true, and I don't know what the genuine version of the truth is. They didn't carve her legacy on her funeral slab because they couldn't figure out what it was. It was a decision of scorn and confusion, but a decision that's still made about women today. When we can't fully understand a woman, we choose instead to leave her blank. Noble Blood is a production of iHeartRadio and Aaron Mankey. The show is written and hosted by Dana Schwartz and produced by Aaron Mankey, Matt Frederick, Alex Williams, and Trevor Young. Noble Blood is on social media at Noble Blood Tales. And you can learn more about the show over at noblebloodtales.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, 
visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories.